The reading is um, Acts chapter 12, verses 1 to 24, which can be found on page 1106 in the Church Bibles. Acts chapter 12, starting from verse 1. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with a sword. When he saw that this met with approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the festival of unleavened bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals, and Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and second guards, and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself, and they went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. When this had dawned on him, He went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Peter knocked at the outer entrance, and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter's at the door. You're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting that it was so, they said, it must be his angel. But Peter kept on knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell James and the other brothers and sisters about this, he said, and then he left for another place. In the morning, there was no small commotion among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. After Herod had a thorough search made for him, and did not find him, he cross-examined the guards and ordered that they be executed. Then Herod went from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there. He had been quarreling with the people of Tyre and Sidon. They now joined together and sought an audience with him. After securing the support of Blastus, a trusted personal servant of the king, they asked for peace, because they depended on the king's country for their food supply. On the appointed day, Herod, wearing his royal robes, sat on his throne and delivered a public address to the people. They shouted, This is the voice of a god, not of a man. Immediately, 
because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down, and he was eaten by worms and died. But the word of God continued to spread and flourish. Sophie, thank you very much. Now, you um, knew I wasn't going to be able to return from Russia without telling at least Russian, one Russian story. Um, so my tri- trip to Moscow has got me uh, looking into Russian history a bit more. Let me tell you about the Great Purge. It's 1937. Joseph Stalin holds the seat of power in the Soviet Union. But, it, but it's pretty fragile power. Stalin fears all manner of political threats. And so... His solution, it's not a particularly complicated plan. He's just going to kill them all. Murder anyone who could possibly threaten his power. And so the great purge begins. And it included the church. The Orthodox Church held great sway in the country. And so Stalin rounded up, the estimates vary, but tens of thousands, up to 100,000 Orthodox clergy. And they were shot. Their families weren't told they'd been killed. The official sentence was 10 years without right of correspondence. So their families lived in hope for years and years until the truth emerged. Christian churches throughout Russia, they were flattened or boarded up or turned into shops. There were awful days of oppression for Christian believers. Let me ask you, what do you do in that moment? If you're a Christian believer in the Soviet Union during the Great Purge, how are you going to respond? You're up against the might of the Soviet Empire. And let's be honest, they're winning. But we've got brothers and sisters around the world today facing very similar circumstances. We need to ask ourselves, how do we respond? Or bring it closer to home. I need to be careful here. The scale's not quite the same, but your school tell you no more Christian union. The teaching of the Bible doesn't fit with the inclusive values of the the school, so CU is banned, shut down. How are you going to respond? Or the university refuses to give the Christian union a stand at Freshers Fair. Your work tells you no more publicizing the prayer gathering, or else it's a disciplinary issue. The government tells you that Christian summer camps are going to lose their right to religious freedoms and will be Ofsted inspected in future. How, how do you respond? How should Christian believers respond to hardship and persecution? Well, come with me to, to Acts 12. We've got two, pictures communi- uh, pict- uh, two communities pictured in this chapter. We've got one which is a, a political community of power and might. It's Herod and his henchmen. And we've got one which is a praying community of Christian believers. And the battle's raging right from the off. Chapter 12, verse 1. Have a look with me. We read, It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. When he saw this met with approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the festival of the unleavened bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to the guard uh, to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. Now this week, 
lots going on in the news. I've been following the royal baby this week, and particularly the name of the royal baby. They kind of teased us, didn't they? Kept us waiting. And uh, so I've been following the bookmaker's odds on what's the name of the royal baby going to be. Earlier in the week, Arthur was the favourite, five to two. And then uh, Prince William gave a little hint. He said, look, it's going to be a strong name. And suddenly the bookies swung to Alexander, two to one. If you're called Alexander, the bookies think you've got a strong name. Um, James, Albert, Fred, Philip, all strong contenders. Um, Jonathan even came in at 33 to one. I didn't see Louis anywhere on the list, actually. But um, the name I was looking for, I couldn't find an odds anywhere online, was Herod. No one would give me odds on Herod. So I went into um, Coral's the bookmaker in Burley Street, and I went up to the man behind the counter, and I said, can, can you give me odds on the name of the royal baby being Herod? He looked at me a bit blankly, said, it's not on my list, understandably. Picked up the phone, phone's head office. There's hysterics on the end of the phone. And um, he finally agrees. It took quite a conversation, but to give me odds of 500 to 1 for the royal baby to be called Herod's. I felt so bad I'd taken up all this time just to find out the odds. Um, here is a betting slip. Two pounds. Royal baby name, Herod, 500 to 1. It's completely worthless now. It's not a good name for a king. This Herod here, his grandfather was Herod the Great. Herod the Great massacred the babies in Bethlehem, trying to kill baby Jesus. His uncle was Herod Antipas, who had uh, John the Baptist beheaded 12 years or so earlier. And here we've got the throne in the line to the dynasty, Herod Agrippa. And it's exactly the same game here as Joseph Stalin. Power is fragile. How can I strengthen my rule? So he arrests the disciple James. He has him killed, probably beheaded. And that seems to go well. The Jewish leaders are pleased. Christianity was a threat to them. One less Christian leader, all good. And now Herod's bolder. So he he goes in for the big fish, the apostle Peter. He arrests him, but it's Passover time, festival of the unleavened bread, doesn't want to upset the Jews by shedding blood during the Passover, so he holds fire until after the festival. That that is the picture we've got as we, we come to Acts 12. Peter, leader of the church, he's in prison, and everyone knows what is going to happen. He's guarded by four squads of four soldiers, probably working a shift pattern, three hours on, nine hours off, don't want them to get tired, don't want them to make a mistake and let the prisoner uh, escape. And there's four of them at a time. As you read through the account, you realize two of them chained directly to Peter, another two guarding the exits to the prison. He's a high-value prisoner. Don't want him getting out. This is, this is a real historical moment, true events. Actually, it's lovely. All the way through this chapter, we're given little eyewitness details to help us see that, the number of guards, the details of the imprisonment, the angel's words, the iron gate. There are loads, real events. But they picture for us the Christian life. They're helping us see that the Christian life is a life of hardship, of persecution, Take up your cross daily and follow me, Jesus said. If you're, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you and I are meant to expect hardship. We're not meant to look at this scene of Peter locked up in prison and, and think, this is an abnormal picture, something's gone wrong here. This is what we were promised. Read through the book of Acts, story of the early church, 28 chapters in Acts. I think it's 22 out of the 28 chapters 
we see Christian believers being persecuted for their faith. This is the normal Christian life. Actually, the abnormal picture is our relatively comfortable lives in 21st century Cambridge. I think it should concern us. Hardship, difficulties, because our faith in Jesus Christ, that shouldn't surprise us. We're meant to expect hardship. And I know many of you thought I was um, completely mad to be going to, to Russia, particularly with all that's going on. But um, let me tell you, Moscow is a simply stunning city. It is, it is absolutely beautiful. It was worth the risk. It was worth the grumpy stares from the lady at passport control who stood there and glared at my passport for ages. I, I was sure she was never going to let us in. But it was worth it. The Christian life is the same, but all the more so. You see, you, you might be listening this morning, not, not a follower of Jesus Christ, and hearing hardship, persecution, and you just think, no thanks, I'd rather not. Why, why would I do that? Let me tell you, let me promise you, it is worth it. What, what lies at the end of the, the rocky, narrow road that Jesus calls us to walk along as we follow him, what lies at the end is more glorious than you and I could ever imagine. I don't want to pretend that the journey there is easy. In fact, I'm sorry for the times I have done that. I'm sure I have. We sugarcoat Christianity and we forget to say, Jesus tells each one of us, come and die with me. That's what he's saying. Take up your cross daily and follow me. Christian believer, expect hardship. That's our first take-home here, expect hardship. But then we need to notice how the believers respond. I love this. Look down with me, verse 5 of chapter 12. In verse 5 we read, So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. And then later on in the account, Peter's been released, and we come to verse 12, where we read, When this had dawned on him, Peter, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Do you hear what's going on here? When Luke writes, he does not want us to miss this. Between verses 5 and 12 is the most miraculous prison escape you could ever imagine. Keep Steve McQueen and all of that. This is better. This is bigger. So miraculous, in fact, that Peter... I mean, Peter has seen a miracle or two in his time. And yet, as Peter is going through these events, he's starting to wonder if he's dreaming. Because it's so miraculous. Amazing miracle. But Luke begins the miracle and ends the miracle by reminding us what the church was doing. They were praying. They were praying earnestly. That word used in verse 5, it's the same word used of Jesus as he prays in the Garden of Gethsemane before he goes to the cross. Their heartfelt prayers of utter dependency, crying out, we need you to work here, God. Our, our brother Peter, he's getting killed by the end of the week. Do you hear the challenge? Expect hardship and pray hard. We need to be, we must be a praying church. I don't know if you know this. We're not brilliant at publicizing it. There was an urgent prayer list 
here at Christchurch, a chance for us just to email around when there's an urgent matter for prayer and to get the church family praying. If you're not on that urgent prayer list, then go to Church Suite, go to the events section. You will find urgent prayer list there. It's just a dummy event. It's not an event. It's a means of signing up to say, I want to get those emails so that I can be praying. Sign up. Or sign up to Open Doors, who are brilliant at just emailing around about how we can pray for brothers and sisters around the world. Sign up for Christian Concern, who will tell you what, what is going on in this country and the matters we must be bringing before our Lord. Or Prayer 150, our monthly prayer meeting. Rachel was mentioning it earlier. It's a week on Wednesday, 9th of May. Let me ask you, what sacrifices are you prepared to make to come and pray with God's people? I realize life is busy. I get that we can be anxious about praying out loud with other people there. But we need to see that we are in a battle. We need to pray for our schools, our workplaces, our government. We need to pray for the gospel to go further out in this land. We need to pray for brothers and sisters around the world who are facing death for their faith. We must pray because God uses our prayers. And actually, we find that hard to believe, don't we? We, we think, well, surely not my feeble little prayers. What difference can they make? Well, follow on the story with me. There are very few parts of the Bible that make me smile more than these next few verses. Picture the scene. Peter's just realized he's not dreaming, but this is real. He's free. And then verse 12 of chapter 12. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Peter knocked at the outer entrance, and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. Worth knowing here, the word for servant, servant girl, Rhoda, Uh, She's a young girl. She's early teens at best. When she recognized Peter's voice, verse 14, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter is at the door. Are you smiling? Do you get what has just happened in that moment? Rhoda, young Rhoda, she'd been gathered in the room praying with the other Christian believers, earnestly praying to God for Peter's release. And so the knock comes on the door, and as, as Rhoda hurries to the door, she knows who she's expecting behind that door, because she's just asked her creator God to release Peter from prison. And she hears his voice. She, she's convinced she, she doesn't even need to open the door to check it's really him. She's heard his voice, she's prayed the prayers, and she runs back off to tell the others, Peter's here! Leaving Peter shut outside the door, still sort of knocking. I need this. I need to let Rhoda's faith spur me on in my prayers. How much more would we pray if we prayed with her confidence to a God who answers our prayers? Let's pray to be more like Rhoda. But before we lose heart, before you tell yourself, well, I'm never going to be a Rhoda, just look at the others in the story, because verse 15, she gets back to them, and they say... You're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting it was so, they said it must be his angel. But Peter kept on knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. That fits a bit better, doesn't it? I mean, they had been praying. They knew they had to pray, knew there was a situation they needed praying about. They didn't want Peter to be killed, but they didn't quite have Rhoda's expectancy. 
But do you see? God still answered their prayers. That, that's the point. This, this is a God who gives more than we could ever ask or imagine. Wonderfully, he is not bounded by your faith, by the, the scale of your prayers, by the eloquence of your words, whatever it might be. This is the God of extraordinary power. He spoke and the universe came into being. And when his people speak to him, he uses our words, our prayers, to achieve his purposes. We're not just meant to sit back and wait and see what he might do. He tells us to pray, to pray hard, to persevere in prayer. And in his kingly grace, he uses those prayers to achieve his good. We need to be careful. It doesn't mean... He always answers our prayers exactly as we would choose. Presumably, that same group of Christian believers had sat and prayed earnestly for James's release. But God, in his sovereign rule, had allowed James to have a better freedom, an eternal rescue. God uses our prayers to achieve his ultimate good. Should spur us on to pray. Expect hardship. Pray hard. And finally... Fear God, fear God. We're going to finish here. Follow on with me from verse 18. Verse 18. In the morning, there was no small commotion among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. After Herod had a thorough search made for him and did not find him, he cross-examined the guards and ordered that they be executed. Then Herod went from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there. He'd been quarreling with the people of Tyre and Sidon. Now they joined together and sought an audience with him. After securing the support of Blastus, that's a great name, isn't it? Blastus, a trusted personal servant of the king, they asked for peace because they depended on the king's country for their food supply. There are so many anxieties and insecurities in this story. Herod wanted the approval of the people, so he kills James, he arrests Peter. That's anxiety, that's insecurity. The people of Tyre and Sidon here, they're they're fearful of their food supply getting cut off. So they form an alliance with a king that they don't really like. Their actions motivated by fear of others. And we get that because our actions are so often motivated by fear of others. You know how it goes. We, we say what we think the other person wants to hear rather than telling them the lo- loving truth Be- because we're afraid. We played a political game at school, at work, wherever it might be, not wanting to go against the flow, not wanting to upset anyone. We even turn up to the church prayer meeting because we want to be seen to be there. We fear people noticing we're not there. It's so easy to live lives in fear of others, what they might think, how they might use their power against me. But but Acts 12 addresses that for us. Look how the section ends, verse 21. On the appointed day, Herod, wearing his royal robes, sat on his throne and delivered a public address to the people. They shouted, this is the voice of a god, not of a man. Immediately, because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down, and he was eaten by worms and died. But the word of God continued to spread and flourish. Is that not an extraordinary ending to the passage? 
Actually, quite an extraordinary ending to a king, really. The chapter begins with the Apostle James dead, the Apostle Peter in prison, and Herod, King Herod, it seems like he's got all the power. But you get to the end of the chapter. The Apostle Peter is freed. King Herod is dead. And God is very clearly holding all the power. The word of God continued to spread and flourish. It's vital for us to grasp that point. It, it points to true power. You take King Herod with all his military and political power. Put him in a fight against the worm. Tell yourself, who's going to win? But the worm wins. An angel of the Lord struck him down, and he was eaten by worms and died. We're meant to realize power is not what it seems. It doesn't last. I walked past the grave of Joseph Stalin in Moscow. The worms won again. All that great power, those military possessions he held in Red Square to show his great might. Vast. So much to be feared. But it's not true power. It's not lasting power. The word of God continued to spread and flourish. And you look at Russia today, and evangelical churches in Russia are growing. In a land that knew such gospel barrenness for decades and decades, the word of God is spreading and flourishing again. Maybe more miraculously, evangelical churches in the UK are growing. Where the Bible is taught, the word of God is bringing life, spreading and flourishing. If you've been here at Christ Church over the last 14 years, you'll know two things. You'll know we're a very, very ordinary church. Clumsy, careless, not great at communicating, we get loads wrong. But you'll also know, we continue to see, that as God's word is read and taught, as God's people pray to him in humble dependency, the word of God continues to spread and flourish. If you'd seen us the day after the church graft, first Sunday here, we were a tiny little church community, but we had the word of God. That's why we'd, we'd love more from the church family to go and join Chris and Meg and others up at St. John's Orchard Park. God has brought growth, but there are such gospel opportunities up there. They, they need more help to go and do this word ministry. There are so many who have not heard this good news. It's why we're committed as a church to continue to look for planting opportunities. It will be costly. It, it will hurt us relationally. We get that. But we don't just want to fill up here and become comfy and cozy because the Christian life is a life of hardship. The word of God brings growth. And so we must be a church that prays, praying hard, praying earnestly, that God would establish his kingdom in our lives, in this city, and in this land of his. Why don't we pray together to that end? Let's pray. We praise you, loving Lord, that when your son gave us that great commission, told us to go and make disciples of all nations, he promised us that he is with us.
Thank you that you have given us his spirit and we have your word, your word of truth, your word that brings growth. We praise you for the work your word has done in our lives. And we long that this gospel of hope, of peace, of joy, of freedom, a gospel that leads us safe into eternity, that this gospel would continue to spread and grow. Don't allow us to be comfy. Allow us to take up our cross daily and follow Jesus. Help each one of us to be attentive to the promptings of your spirit, to be bold for Christ, and to delight as we see him grow his church for his glory. That is our prayer, Lord, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.